I was going for a walk with a friend and I was saying like, I'm ready to get into a next stage of life. I feel like I want to do something different for a living. And what I know about myself is that I will work like crazy to accomplish a task that I believe in. And whether that has been like event production in the, in the past or like anything that I get to cultivate that ends up being a part of an artistic endeavor is great. But all kinds of things. Like I, I really lose myself in the work a lot. So shouldn't I be asking myself, do I find that work worthwhile? And does it have personal meaning to me? And is it like personally fulfilling to me to do the work? Um, because if what I know about myself is that I'll lose myself in it. And that I will basically sacrifice my every waking hour to it, then mm. shouldn't I believe in it? So I was saying to him, that's why I think this next phase, whatever it may be, needs to be something that is fulfilling for me. And and that's everyone's dream, right? It's not like you want your dream job. You want to at least be happy and not feel like you're sacrificing your time mm. just to make a living. But I feel like it doesn't need to be my dream job. I just need it to be... I want it to use the skills that I like using the most. Okay. I, th I think that's that's the thing. Like, I would like it to be a more specialized role. Like, I have enjoyed being a stagehand from time to time. I've enjoyed running live sound from time to time. But I've always been a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to event production. And I'd like to be in a more specialized role for once. And kind of be, I don't know if specialized is the right word, but specified. Just that I'm not running around doing everything. Like I'd like to be a part of something where there are more, um, where there's more appropriate delegation than there has been for me in the past. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. And I want to know if um, something that is more ethically driving, but still at the same time kind of all over the place would be more fulfilling for you. You know, something that suits, you know, what you want to fix in the world by your code of ethics. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it in that way, which is not to say that I was going to seek something corrupt, but... Joel's selling out. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're breaking in here, folks. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, I'll say this. I don't even know if the next thing for me is going to continue being event production or anything mm -hmm. in that line of work. Um, I honestly have no idea. The types of jobs that I have been looking for and applying for are more trying to use my degree for something, trying to work from home, doing copy editing, copywriting, that kind of thing. That said, I've had a lot of thoughts recently about the kinds of events that I'd like to produce in the future as a hobby, you know, as if I were opening up a DIY space again. And I don't know that I will, but if I were to have involvement with DIY shows in the future, DIY venues in the future, I have some new thoughts on what that should look like for me and, and what I'm comfortable with it looking like for me. And it's not necessarily how it's looked so far because like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done. I don't know if you all read my essay that I wrote the other day, but I'm really done with the concept of a music scene. You know, all over that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not just the insularity of a music scene. I think it's bullshit to only celebrate the music. And I'm not saying that that is what happens anytime that there is a quote unquote music scene happening. But I think that 
I'm developing too much of an appreciation for other crafts to limit my exposure and and limit my dedication to only that which has to do with the presentation of of music as like the final art piece, you know. That's why I um I really really loved Uncharted when it was still around and I really liked the Hearing Room kind of had a similar aspect but anything that's like gallery-esque that also does like a venue space I always think is like way more neat because it kind of becomes less law of what you have to go there to perform or to create and it kind of just invades uh, invites jesus why can't i fucking talk it kind of invites creation as opposed to a specific art form it's just general creation and it makes sense that you've been thinking about this because a few times ago when we called you were talking about um kind of having the festival that's not really a music fest but it's just like a trade fest almost like just like what people make fest and i think that's awesome and i i like that slant a lot yeah that was a one of a few phone calls that i made that week where i was really excited about this concept and i was talking about how you know like we had we we hosted together fest basically all of us together um Mm. all of us were kind of involved in the hosting duties in one way or another we hosted that together a, a few years ago and we had two music stages and sort of a gauntlet of vendors and people could go through and check out what the vendors had for sale. I and <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, no, it absolutely was. You're like 9,000%. I just, you could not have picked a more accurate description. Yeah. <laughs> that was just perfect. <laughs> Um, anyway, so we had all these vendors who were, you know, craftspeople and who made their own stuff and were like fiber artists and, and visual artists and everything. So I had the thought a few weeks back, and this is when you and I talked, Trevor, like, I would like to have more events like that where it's not a music festival. It is a creation festival and it does celebrate real DIY culture and doesn't relegate everything that isn't music to the sidelines. Like I want it to be a celebration of everything because like the the hardest working people are the ones who aren't on the stage. You know, like the mm-hmm. people who actually do the work setting up the event or the people who actually do the work. I don't know. It it's just there's there's so many roles that are not acknowledged and just go unnoticed and unappreciated for the sake of someone being in the spotlight. And that's not, again, not always true. And it's not always like all about ego. It's not always about always shining a spotlight on on one performer. But I think that there is still this sort of way in which we're trying to evolve out of a time when it was, or when that was more of the norm. And so we're trying to redefine music scene. But what about just reconceptualizing everything about that and not calling it a music scene anymore. Like I like maker scene. I like art scene. I like creator scene. I like, I don't even like the word scene that much, but you know, a community, a community. Yeah. A community rooted in creation and, and rooted in like the same DIY ethics that we're all used to and that we all know and love and respect, but less about, the end result being one art form that we celebrate and more about 
you know, let's just celebrate the fact that we all cultivate experience together that we share. Mm-hmm. So given that uh, thesis statement and, you know, your desire to approach things specialized, but have a more, more of a democracy of arts, what would be the optimal Joel Fest, uh, the celebration oh, of arts? What would be your role in it? What do you think you'd want to see out of it then? I've been talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll give you a, a microcosm of what would be my, my ultimate festival. Music is still a big part of it, but every single part of the stage, the stage itself, the backdrop to the stage, the adornments on the stage, the lighting, everything is done by a different craftsperson who is like set up and representing their business. That's cool. Yeah. I dig. Yeah. It's like a potluck. Yeah. But like everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A potluck of creators. Yeah. And is just as much of the point of the festival as the musicians and as the showrunner and everyone. Like truly everyone on equal footing because there is no idolatry of one art form there, there's no one art form being put on a pedestal like just because it's, just because it's on the stage doesn't mean it's on the pedestal you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i say we get um like a booth space we reserve it specifically to put some old medieval style stocks <laughs> <laughs> and a dunk tank and anyone that could even be misconstrued as an idol throughout this whole festival the people that actually worked to give them their 20 minutes where they're actually doing work as opposed to the three days that the people beforehand had to spend setting it up get to throw rotten fruit at them and dunk them <laughs> into a dunk tank um and then it levels the plague field and you go up to them and then you go you're nothing without me <laughs> and then you do a bunch of push-ups <laughs> getting a good window into trevor fest yeah yeah, yeah. it's That's it's a, a lot less yeah. fun like for for uh every bit of joel's like inviting community minds about level playing field i could see yeah. trevor fest out in the parking lot behind joel fest like come the fuck on try me <laughs> just me show in you the community. parking lot of joel fest with a baseball yeah. <laughs> doing pretty boy <laughs> No, in in, this, in in earnest, I think it, it there is a lot of validity and it does say a lot about the fact that it is literally those hours of work that are setting up for a bunch of groups of people to show up for, you know, 20 minutes. And as much as it's like the um, uh, hokey thing of like, oh, thank your sound guy, tip your bartender, like that matters. And if you are a band specifically, eventually, if you know you play your cards right or whatever, things work out for you, you're going to need to hire a permanent crew. And if you're mm-hmm. treating like shit all the time, A, your stuff's going to sound like shit and you're not going to last. Or B, no one's going to work with you and you're going to end up having to do things yourself and things are going to go by the wayside. And you don't want that. It's never just the three to six people, however big the group is, you know, that, that are on the stage. There is a 
town behind them yeah. uh, b- between album art and producing and lighting and live sound and merch and who's running the merch and even down to who's running the facilities you know like you can't have a fest and have a bunch of porta potties spewing over and like people swimming in shit like it, you just it doesn't work like that and if people don't recognize that these are all valid trades you're missing the point of why any of us are doing that at all. We're all in yeah. each other's lives. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, like a, a point that I made in the essay was that if you're working the stage crew on Broadway, or if you're running lights for any kind of, you know, dramatic performance, you're still working in the theater. The theater, capital T, is the purpose that you're serving. Whereas like, the nomenclature changes a little bit when you apply that to other fields, such as music. Because if you are doing that same kind of like menial labor stuff, like like setting up the things that are in the periphery, you're not necessarily seen as serving the purpose of, you're not working in music. You might be a stagehand, but are you working in the field of music? No, not really. A stagehand is sets up for any kinds of performances. And any number of different types of events that happen at different types of venues. So I feel like it should be more like that. Like the, the, the assumption should be more like, yeah, we're all doing this for the sake of performance art, no matter what the role is. That's a crazy point too, because to that end, you can literally win a, a Tony for, for doing lights. Like that is something you can really, <laughs> yeah. really, there is literally a Tony for set design, lighting, blocking or something similar and costings those are all words that are one and are like held in very high regard i don't know if any of you are familiar with the beetlejuice stage show no musical it's phenomenal but the biggest thing about it is the set design there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of like physical it's almost like a magic show to some degree like there's just a lot that happens in the set morphs and changes when like all the demonic possession happens and stuff like that And it's been one of the most critically acclaimed shows almost because of that exclusively, let alone the fact that the rest of the show is great. That doesn't exist. And you're, you're so right, Joel, that doesn't exist really. Yeah, it doesn't. In, in other aspects of what is essentially the same business. Like set design is necessary for music. Yeah. You know, for like touring bands, like especially anytime that you go to like a more theatrical bands show, you know? Or even like every any like folk band that would be playing a theater show, there's usually some kind of set design mm-hmm. involved in it. But who designed the set and what industry do they work in? They don't work in the music industry. They work in rigging or lighting or something. Rig- yeah, rigging or just design. You might just call it design. You might just you might call it performing arts, but it's not the music industry. So I think that like there has been such an idolatry developed around music because of what it has done for people in the past in regards to fame and in regards to popularity and wealth and envy and success. And, you know, as opposed to those things aren't necessarily true of those other industries that are broader in in scope because there's kind of more recognition to be shared in those other industries in terms of who, you know, which roles are seen as, as essential and as deserving of accolades, you know? Do you think it's a money thing? Because even like the biggest yeah. Broadway star ever isn't breaking in like a fraction of what like a superstar pop star makes. Definitely has to be like 
money because no one is typically going to a show to see the floating head that comes down the middle of the Tyler the Creator set. They're coming out for Tyler the Creator and eventually the cannons that blow out their eardrums. (laughs) I mean, all of this in the industry is in service of the music because of what it does financially for people in selling records, in creating followings and communities all of it serves under what the music does and what the community managers can drum up uh throughout all of that you know at the end of the day stagehands are expendable uh as long as you can push uh, a bunch of shit on a cart and then set up something with instruction from a road crew yep uh you're not really super valued you know you can be probably one of the best artists in the country but there's oh at least best visual artists in the country but there'll always be other visual artists clamoring for that spot and you know as long as there isn't like a sort of a unification democratization of the arts there'll always be like that head-to-head fight against each other to create this unlevel playing field where art isn't really valued evenly yeah we just need to get every director and uh, established musician and execute them and have like a communist <laughs> uprising, but for art specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's just the way it's going to happen. Just a worldwide <laughs> uprising against all artists. Yeah. <laughs> Who would be on the chopping block first? <laughs> uh, the CEO of Spotify. Yeah. Because I, I think that it's because of money, and I also think it's because there's like this ongoing battle between the artist and the medium through which the artist gets um, played. Yeah. You know, like there has always been, I, I've been like a, very much against the whole like Spotify analytics, like measuring your success by that for a while now. But then I realized we've always measured success that way. And that like, there's almost dual ownership of the product and dual profiting through the product because it's the creator of the product, but a much bigger part of that is how it gets to the listener. And that was vinyl records, and then it was cassettes, and then it was CDs, and then it was downloads, and now it's streams. And there has always been this quantifying of success through how many units are sold or downloaded or streamed yeah and Mm -hmm. as long as an artist has to quantify their validity and their success with a product that someone else supplies that artist will never like be able to exist in a world where anything but those two elements are seen as what's important like i think that would a if that system were changed some way i'm not sure how then you could actually make money through Spotify streams, first of all. And second of all, I think like by making it less hierarchical, because obviously like those are the top tiers of who needs the money, right? Mm -hmm. But like if the distribution of art were somehow changed so that it didn't need to be quantified in order to demonstrate success in in such a way, then maybe Mm -hmm. there would be more to go around. And then maybe there would be more of a recognition of other roles that could factor into the presentation of art. You know what I mean? I'm being idealistic about this, but yeah, no, I feel it runs deeper too. And you're going to love the segue because it's going to bring us back a little bit. First of all, 
very similarly to music, like most movies are like, yeah, they care about the box office and everything, which is similar to the streaming, but ultimately like what like makes or breaks movies for being like immortal is if they can be made into merchandise because mm. that is the way to get the profit, which is, you know, uh, fucking action figures are the Spotify of movies essentially. And someone yeah. else reaping the benefits, you know what I mean? For, for an artistic vision, but even further down to that, it's working labor jobs and working any jobs because it's how much are you going to benefit the company and how much money are you going to make for them? Well, how much money are you going to make for the business? How many hours are you going to put in for the business at the risk of your own health or your own personal goals or whatever? It's pretty rare, uh, especially in something that's a little bit more of a physical job that they are worried about you as a human being uh, more than they are about what you're going to provide to the overall conglomerate and how they're going to benefit from it. They'll break your spine to make a buck, you know, and, and to, to that extent, they will exploit the hell out of your song or out of your art film to make a buck. I think it's bigger than all of us. And it's a, a beast that is in my personal opinion, it is not something that can be fought exclusively by rebellion. I think that you need to play the sick little game a little bit, climb the ranks, get to the top and instill real change. The real challenge in that is, do you lose your moral fiber and how much do you give in measuring that as you climb those ranks? Because if you become the product that they're trying to make you, you've lost, you know, you got all the way there and you've forgotten what the whole point was. So it's a weird balance to strike but that's also kind of gives you a reason to put up with it and work harder and keep working and knuckle down in the hope that you can make something better maybe not even for yourself but just everything at large which is super like hippy dippy and like whatever but that's how i live and that is how i try to justify how many hours i put in in a place that ideals i do not agree with and treats everyone like shit and has a huge turnover rate. Relatively speaking, I'm very young and I have worked there almost three times over most of the employees that have that have worked there. Whoa. And it's it's because it is such like a caustic place to work and it sucks. It's a grueling grueling thing, but the hopes being that it affords me to be able to do my art and then I have to play the art game and play the PR game which is another whole machine but if you can get to a point where you're piloting the machine maybe you can get it to stop polluting the air maybe you can get an upgrade to like uh unbranded electric vehicle that isn't made by someone who's crazy <laughs> um, that's a little bit greener for our emotional uh environment I don't know that's my that's my two cents on that. <laughs> I think stuff like that too, the consumer has to be factored in pretty heavily as well. Cause good point. You know, people crave that pollution as much as we all want a greener world. And that's something that like as much as it tends to be it's easier to look at these issues in like an adversarial way and say that there's like a huge conglomerate like Spotify is a very, very nice target. Cause I mean I fucking hate them too, despite the fact that they're like the only thing this show is on. It's uh <laughs> It's a terrible company. And uh, honestly, I think the fact that it is so convenient to the point that 
as much as I don't like it and as much as I know full well and, and personally how it's just fucking musicians, I have it. I have Spotify Premium. It's that good in a, in a lot of ways. It's the same as something like Amazon. It's so convenient and so become a crucial part of our life that we're willing to sort of like look the other way on a lot of that stuff. So I think so much of these issues is it has to be distilled down to like, why the hell is this what people want? Or why is this what people are comfortable with? And addressed that way. Because it's not so much like an evil force that's going on as much as just either people don't give a shit and they should be made aware or just this is the world that we, we live in right now and we have to figure out how to change it kind of from the bottom up in some ways, you know? Right. Because I think a lot of music has been that way. Like the music industry specifically, like the casual listener just listens casually and they don't think about how the show is staged. They don't think about how the record is cut. They don't think about whether that artist can make ends meet when they go home from tour. They just think about like, all right, I saw a show. I have work in the morning and they, you know, they kind of go about it. And I think something like, granted I'm somewhat of an outsider here, but I think something like the theater might be a little bit different because it requires a little bit of a, devotion like it's like being a fine art person like a fine art connoisseur like if you're going to like museums all the time and stuff not only are you learning when you're there you're you've learned something that focused you and sent you there so i think it's different where like you know you can't be driving down the road to work and like pop on the radio and experience a broadway play but you can experience aspects of music that can mount and build to where you're experiencing the parts where like there are stagehands involved, there are laborers involved, there are engineers involved, and you're not considering their role because you've kind of been desensitized to the fact that this is a gestalt thing. So I think so much of it, it's supply and demand, and we have to really examine that demand. But we've all been focused on the supply. I'd like to point That's out. a really good point. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Trevor. Uh, mine was going to be bullshit. I was going to say, I just wanted to point to everyone that Matt's living like a king off of uh, his music royalty. Well, I saw him, but I, now it's time to give back. Before this episode. But I'm thinking of the little guy with every single I cut, you know, it's time that I give something back to him. Joel, say your real point. I'm sorry. Um, my real point was going to be, there's a big difference between... Is it Gestalt or Gestalt? I've only ever seen it written, to be honest. So I think I've just it's been saying Gestalt in my head. Gestalt. Yeah. There's a big difference between Gestalt and holistic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think you just pointed out something important, which is that Gestalt can often be confused for all for one thing. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to music, Gestalt does not mean holistic. If you were to view it holistically, it would mean viewing all of the working parts and all of the roles that people play. and But I think a lot of people view it as gestalt and, and nothing else, meaning that they see what all of these working parts have worked together to create, and they're focusing on the creation. And there's a lot yeah. underneath that tip of the iceberg. But like, we don't usually view the like finished presentation of art holistically. Well, and it's paradoxical, too, because there are so many jobs. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever played bass in a band for like a you know a period of time where like you <laughs> can start to regret it but like <laughs> that's that's one of those jobs that like if you do it really well like if you're really doing your job as a bass player not necessarily if you are a good bass player but just if you're like you know you're doing that role no one's gonna know that you're there <laughs> like you're just kind of like yeah 
your job is to make everybody else sound fucking awesome and to kind of stay in your lane and keep a pocket going and keep things moving. And there are so many jobs, especially in the music industry, that are like that, where if you do your job absolutely perfectly with every ounce of talent and restraint that you have, the whole point is that no one is going to know that your job existed because everything else went so swimmingly. So it's such a, a weirdly cruel industry in that way. I think that's personally like very, very true of sound guys, which is why I'm... I don't know. I'm always all for bands trying to find ways to kind of shed that light artfully because yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those fucking jobs where like to an audience who's never experienced a bad sound night versus a good sound night, like they just think, yeah, I don't know, you plug stuff in and it works. And that's not mm-hmm. the case. Like it takes us a, a skilled mind. And, uh, but I don't really know how to get around that to some extent with something like the music industry, because I think people listen and experience shows. I know I do when I go to shows, like not necessarily local shows, but like when I go to like see a band at the garden or something, like I go for that veneer. Like I go for that poster on my wall coming to life. I don't want to see right. a fucking human being running around on a stage. I want to see that band, you know? <laughs> True. Yeah. No one gives a shit about human beings. Yeah. And there's got to be a line in there somewhere where people can be appreciated and people can be valued because these people who are making these things happen absolutely deserve that value. Mm. But I don't think that that illusion should be destroyed either. I think something like that uh, needs to be tackled at the root possibly where, um, you know, a lot of people tend to view anything from a piece of furniture to a whole house as just like a, Oh, you just hit a couple nails and then it's done. Um, Yeah. Whereas there's a million people that go into making that thing happen. Like my off job, uh, doing like assistance in a cabinet shop, like you kind of get the realization that everyone just kind of views it as like a one person or they don't think about it kind of job where, you know, the end result is all they consider. And that's just the way it is, is, you know, what they'll chime in with. And that's kind of their justification for everything. That's the way it is. Instead of kind of considering, What's the way it could be? Mm. I think there's a lot to be said about people that are invested in themselves as opposed to people that are invested in others. I think that kind of goes into it, but from a less severe and like less harsh standpoint, it's more about more invested in the experience than they are the shared experience. And that's just, that's, that's no actions. That's no anything. That's a frame of mind. Mm. It becomes, how Mm. do you convince a mass to change their frame of mind? I think it's very interesting because I think it's very, very rare when me and Matt have differing opinions. And I think (laughs) when me and Ian have differing opinions. So (laughs) my approach, me thinking like, I think it has to come from somewhere on the top. Like I I think it has to come from someone absolutely insane who just decides like there's nothing to lose versus an uprising for, for lack of a better word. I, I, I'm, I'm speaking very, very severely because I'm like dramatic as hell, but like just the, the opposite of like something happened organically from the ground or organically from the top. Um, it doesn't need to yeah. be like super, super violent. It's just, I, good in those metaphors um but it becomes you either need to somehow finagle a big enough crowd from the bottom or hold enough attention from the top which one's more viable and then also which is more effective because again it 
in all of like, yes, we want to change the industry. We want to change work ethics. We want to be able to like sleep comfortably at night, knowing that our job is secure without completely compromising our well-beings and shit like that. All of that boils down to the humanity of it. And how do you reframe those mindsets? How do you change anyone's mind? Mm. We weren't supposed to have a bipartisan system and we have a bipartisan system. You know what I mean? Like it, it's everywhere. Mm. It's everywhere. It, like yeah. no matter what avenue of life or just like the human experience you're looking at, there's conflict. And we've just managed to put conflict in a different name and called it money or called mm. it fame, you know? And mm-hmm. personally, I'm over it. But in order for those things to go away, Everyone needs to be on the same team and it needs to be discussion over daggers. And it's just like, where, where does that happen? You know? And that's why like, I don't necessarily disagree with your points about it being at the top either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's kind of like, it's a matter of approaching both, but to be honest, approaching either isn't as much, I don't think it would have as much of an effect as just narrowing down what the path of least resistance is going to be because that's that's the way to ensure real social change is to just make it convenient and make it sexier than the alternative that's why bad things like trevor that's why we're (laughs) friends because you're just easier than nothing (laughs) no but it's like you know that's how so many things like i think that's an issue with a lot of change throughout this industry and just a lot of change throughout the world is it takes work and it takes learning and it takes restraint and it just takes before it gives. And a lot of people don't want to give when they don't feel like they have what they need or whatever. They just want to kind of flop down and just do what's there and do what's easy and do what feels nice and stuff. And I don't necessarily think that that's wrong. It's just, I think it's got to be a coordinated effort from what's provided, like having something like Spotify, perfect for the listener, perfect for the consumer, not so great for the bands. So then let's add in an aspect of that that's great for the bands and keep it that easy for the consumer. And it'll kind of like leapfrog in a better direction as opposed to just believing that there's one force on either end of that spectrum that's strong enough to corral all of this shit and, you know, kind of flip around that instinct that we have. Because it's, I don't know, that's something I've lost a lot of faith in that over the years that just, you know, there will come a time when people change in this way. And not in a way that people are bad, just in a way that like, that Henry, I don't know if Henry Rollins said it at first, but that quote that I heard him say one time, like just a fistful of fifties in a day without fear. That's what people want. Mm. And I just think it's, it's one of those things like we have to just find a way to make this kind of change easy and make this kind of change sexy. And then it'll happen by accident mm. and then it'll stick. That's why smoking is so easy to fall into, but eating healthy isn't, you know, it's like there's a reason we get addicted to horrible shit, but we can't get addicted to like taking a run and eating a salad without a little bit of work and that kind of stuff. Like, Cause we just want a hit of something. Trevor on your first episode of the show, you were saying that art is preparation for getting lucky. And I'm kind of trying to apply that on a broader scale to this concept because you could say like all ideologies are preparation for someone agreeing with you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know that you'd necessarily say all production is preparation for having a consumer, you know. So you wouldn't go ahead and just like start producing these types of events that completely change the ideology and like have the goal of getting those people who agree with you to sort of change the ethos around how shows are produced and and how 
music is marketed or the consumption of music is undergone. But I think that would be equally true for the people at the top and the people at the bottom. Is that like you wouldn't just buy into something and you wouldn't just produce something without some proof of concept. Yeah. So I don't know how it gets started. That's a good point. Yeah. And I I often do not take that step back because I just have always had such a fucking agenda. <laughs> yeah. so, so like, but you're absolutely right. Even to the extent, and me and you have actually been talking about this a few times in the last conversations we've had on the Boston art podcast, when Theo and Brian were talking about process art mm-hmm. and how it was essentially art for the sake of making art. And it was like, I believe most of that episode was focused on the fact that that was just as valid. Yeah. But isn't necessarily perceived that way just because we live in such the marketed world. I don't know, man. I don't, I, it would be so nice to just take a breather Mm. because I think that that is entirely true. I think that it existing just because it should be allowed to exist and because it's fun for it to exist. I think that things like process art, like as I understand it, kind of a logical extension of that is like showing how the thing is made and showing that there is a procedure to how it's made and the procedure is just as valid as the finished product. And we live in such a world now where the show off of the procedure is readily available and is presented to us on YouTube all the time. You know, so like as it as it pertains to the music industry, you can go on YouTube right now and you can watch cool ass videos of colored vinyl records being made and pressed. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to watch. And that like that is its own art and that is its own um, artful presentation of something that is not in itself celebrated as an art form, except by the most enthusiastic people in that industry who work in that industry. But it is an integral part to how music is consumed. And so it's like, I think that process art and this kind of newfound medium where we get to show the procedure by which something is made and presented and consumed, sort of the minutia of that procedure, means you get to see it as like, it's not all just marketing. It's not all just like some company that wants the bottom line. And, and wants, you know, the profit. There are a lot of people from start to finish in whatever process that like are, I feel, I think the word art might be getting overused in this, in this context, yeah. but like that are, you know, dedicated to their own craft or who do have a very dedicated, developed set of skills that are going overlooked. Because again, when, when we look at this thing as, as gestalt and not holistic, it gets confused for it's all for the music rather than there are all these roles distributed throughout the creation process. I think audiences for that kind of stuff is growing, especially in a COVID world. And I think a lot of these changes that we would like to see and just that general, like more appreciation for what we have, we're on the precipice of what could be a really, really great change for that kind of movement. But that is in all of our hands to push for it when it comes back, because everyone's going to be ravenous to consume everything and just share that experience. That's why they're watching those videos. That's why they're watching all of these things and having that appreciation for them since they've been all cooped up for so long. 
the hard part is not letting anyone forget that that's where we were at and that it's not okay everything's back let's just get on the same exact mm-hmm. you know mm. and actually making it a point to appreciate all of the aspects of it because ultimately we really have nothing right now you know <laughs> in in that way you, you know not, not to overstate but all of a sudden everything's going to be back and we'll be able to have everything in front of us everything laid out and even something as simple as the lights turning on in the building you're just going to be like oh shit this place like has like overhead lights that turn colors i've been in my room that has a fucking desk lamp for <laughs> however long until you know that that's available to us again i hope and i kind of think it will but i i would like to encourage everyone to kind of push for this anyone that's listening i hope that there is a new appreciation that is kind of bulletproof and like everlasting of all of those things once we're kind of back on the saddle. I think there will be, man. I mean, it, it it's born of a fascination and that's that's how it's it's more yeah. true than just it's not an obligation. It feels like a uh, like a preaching kind of thing, but you know, like it's when it's cool like that, it'll stick like when it's the fact that there's shows like um like we've talked about how it's made before on here, but like stuff like that, that like the process is just cool as shit. And when it's actually portrayed as like, holy hell, that's how this like inanimate little thing that I'm holding was made or like, yeah, like the YouTube videos or um, even, you know, shows like uh, Adam Ruins Everything and like different shows like that, that are just, I fully believe we're in an enlightenment right now. It A lot of people talk about it like it's a renaissance, but I think it's an enlightenment because we're tearing down a lot of idols and we're tearing down a lot of systems that we've had and, and we're turning to rationality and to science and things like that. And we're doing it in a very fascinated way that is, I think that'll absolutely stick if for no other reason than there's a huge inertia to it right now. And even if we lose energy, we won't unlearn. And something has changed with maybe not the older generations all the way through. I honestly have no idea what the hell the younger generations are doing, but there's a sweet spot in there that we inhabit that I think this change has happened to a, a lasting extent. And honestly, I just hope it means what we think it means. I don't think it'll go away. I just hope, you know, that it reconciles the things we want it to. Ian, what's the best outcome for you? Um, I don't really have a best outcome outlined mentally. I just kind of been ruminating on all this discussion here. And I think even if we may be in an enlightenment, I think we need to consider the attention span of the people who's the target of the enlightenment per se. Um, you can have a TikTok account where you're showing off all the cool ass vinyl uh, that you're pressing in your plant, or you can show off while you're screaming uh, how to unlodge 10 um, bowling balls from a shoot. But at the end of the day, people are going to be just fixated on the next big thing, uh, whatever, I would say whatever the service tends to uh, prioritize in its algorithm-based trends. Like, I think once we get out of this, it's going to be a matter of like whether people are able to hold the attention and say, yes, I'm going to be sticking to viewing this because who knows what's the next attention-grabbing thing that's going to come out of freaking nowhere. Like, nowadays memes die in like, I don't know, 15 minutes. Whereas back in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, we wrote off of memes for like years and whatnot. 
Um, yeah, it definitely is just an age where where things are so convenient to access that your attention can be dragged away within a split second. And if you don't keep that attention, if you don't have some sort of notification saying this is happening, this thing that you sh- you said you would give attention to, you may just forget about it entirely. And it's not probably your fault. It's more of like the way content is given to people nowadays. Well, that's a good point. I think like, it's important to buffer against that tendency to become misanthropic when you're thinking about stuff like this. Like there is so much of the world that we and just when we talk about like, you know, people and like wanting people to change or wanting people to focus on the right stuff. Like there is so much about the world that just happens to us, you know, like algorithms are a great example of that. Yeah. Cause they, we can't even really know when they begin and when they end. So yeah, that's why I think it's, it's easy for these kinds of discussions to make you either a, a pessimist or an optimist because just for that desire to reach some kind of a conclusion. But yeah, I think the importance is in the searching, you know, the importance is in the just keeping shit moving and keep looking for stuff. And if you fuck up, just move a little bit further. Like if you don't appreciate someone or something as fully as you know you should, then do it next time. Like stuff like that. If we can all be learning one thing, it's just to keep it in motion. 